1: We're all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this.
0: All right, folks. I am starting off this week with another strange sea creature. Well, in this case, it's a river creature. We've talked about plenty of strange water creatures, though, on this show. Sure. I mean, look, water covers a
1: large... A large part of the earth, and we're going to talk about things in the water.
0: Yeah, yeah, and they're often very different from land animals, so there's a lot of scope for weirdness from a human perspective. This is one of the strangest, but... It's wonderful. In this one, the weirdness is really all on the inside. So look at... This is a fish. So look at this fish. You would never guess how strange it is. It's a small silver really? fish. It's about nine and a half centimeters long, so it would fit pretty nicely in the palm of your hand. It's silvery. It looks, it just looks fish-like. It's from the same <laughs> genus as the guppy, which is a very common aquarium fish. Gotcha, all right. So before okay. I tell you about I what makes guppies. this- guppies. Oh, did you?
2: Are they, are they friendly? I did growing up. They were,
0: mostly. Wonderful. It was a long time ago. <laughs> well, before I tell you what makes this fish so weird, I'm gonna tell you its name. And I want okay. you to guess where it lives. Okay, so first ooh, of all, the Latin yay. name, the Latin name I'll just get out of the way. It's called Puacilia Formosa. And Ooh, ooh. Keep going. The common name is the Amazon Molly. So if I told you that a fish was named the Amazon Molly, where would you suppose it lives?
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna go out like on a limb here, and I, I think it's a radical answer to say the Amazon. But I'm guessing that's wrong. You
0: might very well think that, but that is wrong. Ooh, I have an
2: idea. Is okay, it, Rachel. Is it
0: by the...
2: So, Formosa gives me an idea of, mm-hmm. uh, like, volcanic. Does it live in the Antarctic, like, rift or whatever? No. Like where the
0: uh, plates come together? Nope. Okay. Formosa actually means beautiful or lovely in Latin, I think. so. Oh, I was thinking...
2: Oh, I know what I was thinking. Never mind. Keep going.
0: You were thinking, I believe,
1: uh, the term is epilons.
2: Right. <laughs> or micro that one, epilons. Micro epilons. epilons also. The micro
1: epilon islands.
2: Right. Or maybe the, um, actually, I'm not going to give any hints because it, it makes sense once
0: you hear my topic, but go on, Victoria. Okay. So it actually lives in the Rio Grande, Nueces, and Tuxpan Rivers in Texas and northern Mexico.
1: Oh, I've been there. All right. Yeah.
0: And not anywhere near the Amazon. Not anywhere near the Amazon. It is called Amazon, uh, not related to location, but related to mythology.
1: Oh, okay.
0: <gasps> Ooh. Mm. What do you What do you remember about the Amazons from mythology, if anything?
1: Well, I watched a documentary actually just uh, yesterday. It's called Wonder about Woman. Am- it was Wonder called Wonder, Wonder, Wonder Woman, Woman. That's yeah. right. Uh, so it, it, I'm sure everything in there was completely historically accurate oh yeah i'm i'm now well up on my uh, amazon history
2: i'm not gonna lie ancient greece was one of my like kind of special interests as a kid so i know that they're fierce uh grecian warriors and they were fabulous and i just love them anyway yes
0: but most salient feature was all women right yes correct yes Okay, so this this fish is not fierce, but this is an all-female species. Yes. Yes. They reproduce by parthenogenesis, which is a form of asexual reproduction. This came up uh, a few weeks ago when I talked about leaf and stick insects, because some of them mm-hmm. do some parthenogenesis in, in addition to sexual reproduction. <clears throat> so basically, in regular parthenogenesis, a mother... Can, can clone herself, or there's another way of doing it where it's like a half clone where she kind of remixes her genes a little bit. Anyway, we won't get into the, the details of cell division. But Amazon mollies use a special form of parthenogenesis. Oh, sorry, just backing up a little bit. I should say, um, this is pretty common in um, invertebrate animals, but it's pretty, it's relatively rare in vertebrates, but not on her That's- that's fair yeah yeah um so amazon mollies do a special form of parthenogenesis that's called gynogenesis where the mom produces egg clones of herself but then in order for the eggs to develop into embryos she has to mate with a male so you just said that it was a all-female species yes i did the, we're
1: talking the inner species here aren't we
0: the presence of the sperm will trigger the embryo to develop without the sperm ever contributing any genetic material so this is what is known as a sexual parasite <gasps> not what you think about when i say those words probably
1: yeah that's like some kind of horrible memories of like high school health class come flooding back a sexual parasite. <laughs> right. that's probably not what you're referring to
0: no, it's it's a behavioral thing cuz <clears throat> basically it's parasitizing the sperm of what males you ask, right? Yeah. Right, right. Well, vertebrates that are that reproduce by parthenogenesis always seem to be the result of um two species hybridizing.
1: Ah, uh, okay. okay. So
0: the Amazon Molly based on genetic analysis um Was the hybrid of two other mollies, the sailfin molly and the Atlantic molly. Okay, so the Amazon molly will mate with males of one of those two species or a third one that's also fairly similar, called the Temesi molly or Temesi. I'm not sure how that's pronounced. Um, so this is very weird. Uh, Just a bit. Yeah, there are. There's basically only a few other vertebrates who. Who are similar, uh, mostly some species of salamander.
1: Oh, I was just going to say, there's, I know there's some salamanders that do this. Yeah.
0: But... And so the the really strange thing, though, is that the Amazon Molly has recently been shown by genome sequencing to be over 100,000 years old as a species. Whoa. And That's, normally, really, this has
1: been working for a while for them. Yeah, That's so
0: a long time. Normally, um, one of the one of the some of the disadvantages of reproducing asexually is that genes don't get remixed. You're basically just cloning yourself over and over again. So you species, first long. of all, yeah, they can't adapt to a changing environment and evolving parasites, right. but also mutations will accumulate, right? right. Normally, and so based on Various stuff about its genome. Normally, scientists would expect an all-female, exclusively parthenogenic hybrid species like the Amazon molly to die out after about 20,000 years. They've been around at least five times longer than that. And based on some other stuff that I don't really understand, they can tell that basically no genetic genetic decay has happened for the molly. So this is just really weird. And scientists do not understand it. Um, They are baffled. Yeah, they're baffled. One tiny possibility Um, is that...
1: That's like my least favorite headline ever. (laughs) Scientists baffled. Is that not
2: what the basis of scientific inquiry generally is? Wow, that's weird. Let's find out what happens.
0: It absolutely
1: is. However, any article that like headline that has that in there is generally uh, clickbait (laughs) BS.
0: True. Yeah, that's, that's pretty accurate. There's one tiny possible clue, although it may really have nothing to do with it. Again, they don't know. So very, very occasionally, uh, the Mollies, Amazon Mollies will produce um, a male that is triploid. So that means it has three sets of chromosomes instead of the normal two. Right. And so there are extremely rare rare. Uh, males uh it's not clear if they maybe can then introduce new genetic material into the mix on those rare mm-hmm. occasions it's maybe helping well, helping the species the so question long. is
1: are are those males fertile if they're if they're hybrids that's a big if
0: exactly so yeah very strange and nobody seems to have a clue
1: well, that's that. the perfect place for research to take place then yeah
0: all right, so that's what I have about the Amazon Molly for you. And next up, after the break, we'll be Kirk.
1: Kirk here with a quick note. If you're enjoying the show, be sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review. It helps other lovers of The Strange find our show. You can also find and follow us on social media. Search for Strange by Nature Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or come visit us at strangebynaturepodcast.com. We'll see you there. Now back to the show. So last week I talked about how comets smell like cat urine. Uh, although in all fairness, I, I, I think talked you, about how... I think
2: you said that they smell like farts.
1: Yeah, I was just, I was, that's <laughs> what I was to say. In all fairness, I was really they, actually they smell more like farts uh, once you add in the other smells. And if you haven't heard that yet, I guess you got to go back and listen now. But um, all that talk of cat urine got me thinking as you would expect it would. And I thought this week I would just keep on going down that road and do a whole segment on urine. So that's what I'm doing. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the urine episode.
0: Great. So, uh,
1: Good. Those are two exact opposite responses. (laughs) Urine is kind of weird when you think about it. Uh, Some animals just constantly leak liquid out of their bodies, which is really weird, uh, and, but some save it up. And when you think about it, that's maybe even weirder that some species like save up their urine and then get rid of it all at once. Uh, over time, urine has uh, even come to have some evolutionary advantages to uh, being able to, to have urine that you can save up and whatnot. But I wanna look at some weird urine facts, okay? All right. So first off, what is urine? Urine is mostly water, about 95% water. Some, but not all, comes from the foods we eat and the liquids we ingest. But water is also created in animals' bodies as a result of the complex chemistry that is the reverse of photosynthesis. So those of you awake in biology class may remember that in photosynthesis, plants combine water and carbon dioxide to make sugar. So that's six H2O's plus six CO2's to form C12, H22, O11, uh, which is sugar, uh, using the power of the sun. So it's the energy from the sun that helps drive that reaction.
2: So there's to ex- break down the sugar, you have to you produce water.
1: You do the exact opposite, yeah. So there's extra oxygen uh, that's not needed to form sh- the sugar molecule. That's why trees breathe out oxygen. In animals, this process runs in reverse. So we take the sugars, we mix that oxygen back in, essentially, and we reverse the equation to get the energy back out from the sun. So we're basically getting that solar energy back out of the plant when we're eating those sugars. And by sugars, I also include complex sugars like carbohydrates and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we then get rid of two waste products that we don't want that come out of that equation, water, H2O, and carbon dioxide co2 so we breathe out the co2 and we urinate out the water this process is called respiration and it's what instantly what happens in the mitochondria inside our cells it's the powerhouse of the cell that's right (laughs) um it's it's just really cool that like uh the the equation kind of works same in both directions which i think is really fascinating but we get out the some of that water that originally went in to make that uh so if you think about it, some of your urine is actually like water that was pulled up through the roots of a plant and transformed (laughs) into sugars. And then you turned it back into water.
0: That is a cool thought. Which is really cool.
1: Really cool. Um, So that's a bit of a tangent there. But it's interesting that not all the water we pee out actually comes from the food, uh, like liquid that was in the food and the water we drink. So urine isn't just isn't just wastewater though. Um, animal bodies use it to get rid of impurities using our liver. Uh, our liver is detoxing our body 24 hours a day. Uh, this is incidentally why anyone offering to sell you a product they claim as is a detox is what we call a charlatan. Uh, your <laughs> snake your oil body, salesman,
2: salesman. Right.
1: Your body naturally detoxes itself uh, 24 hours a day and uses urine to flush those out of the body. So the only thing a detox product is going to remove is money from your bank account. That's what they're actually designed to do. Uh, Another fun fact about pee is some people think that eating asparagus makes their pee smell funny. Uh, Yes, that happens. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yes, okay. So you're both saying yes. Now some people say no, like that doesn't doesn't happen to me. Uh, That it doesn't make their pee smell. They are wrong. They just can't so smell. People it? think Yes. So oh, we think okay. of it as being a genetic there is a genetic difference. And people think there's a genetic difference. Some people's pea smells when they eat asparagus and some doesn't. They're half right. There is a genetic difference, but the genetic difference is not whether or not your pea smells, it's whether or not you can smell it. Some people genetically cannot smell that compound and can't huh. smell that their pea smells. Whereas some people can smell it and could tell that they are pee, or I guess presumably other people's pee has that smell as well, which is uh, really interesting.
2: Why are you smelling other people's pee?
1: I, I don't, that's up to you, Rachel. I'm not gonna imagine why you're smelling someone's pee. Have you never been in a stairwell in a major oh. metropolitan city? Oh,
2: I used to be a resident assistant, so. So you smelled pee? All yeah. Right
0: can you tell me why yeah why does my uh why does my pea turn pink after eight beets?
1: uh there is a compound in the uh in beets that can like you said change that it's sort of like it also happens if you eat certain like foods that have artificial colors and stuff in them i don't know what the exact compound is in the beets um i'm assuming it's the red coloration because beets are bright red um but it I, you know, it may actually be a totally unrelated compound, but I would find that rather surprising given the color of beets. Yeah. But I know uh, that has given a lot of people uh, a bit of a scare because if you have like a pink color in your urine, it can mean that you have like bladder cancer. And so many people have gotten quite a scare after eating beets and kind of forgotten that they ate beets and that might be what's causing the color of their urine. Or just a, you have
0: e- <laughs> just a UTI sometimes
1: yeah uh, the so there, there are there are reasons you can have blood in the urine other than cancer uh, but that can be uh quite alarming often to to see uh and you got to ask yourself did i eat beets because yes. <laughs> that, that could be one of the reasons it can also uh, uh
0: it can also make your poop turn red so you're not you're not bleeding internally hey hey,
1: come on come on come on we're talking about <laughs> urine here let's not get sidetracked all right um so talk yeah, about this smell next the week's episode the smell of urine is actually quite important to animals uh and many animals actually use urine as a way to mark their territory or even to communicate with potential mates which i guess is part of the reason why being able to sort of store it up and not just dribble it out all the time is quite useful because you can use it for marking your territory i by the way am pretty glad that humans a don't dribble it out all the time and b don't use it to mark their territory uh those uh stairwells notwithstanding Mm -hmm. Right. There are uh, over three thousand different compounds that have been identified in urine, which is astounding. Uh, I mean, humans—more
2: than humans, expected.
1: Yeah, humans love studying this stuff. <laughs> I mean, you can actually tell a lot about people's health by studying it, which is probably why we we know so much about it. Um, as I said earlier, it is ninety-five percent in wat percent water. The other main ingredient is urea, which is three uh, percent, but. Some of the other ingredients not included in that, uh, then uh, 95, six, seven, eight, 98%, uh, kind of that 2% left is where some of the most interesting stuff is. Um, ammonia and salt in urine is actually a major attraction to butterflies. Apparently <laughs> butterflies love, love urine as they need the salt. And so some butterfly photographers will actually put urine out to attract butterflies uh i did see one study that suggested that butterflies are particularly attracted to cougar urine i should probably point out that i mean cougars as in mountain lions and not cougars <laughs> as in middle-aged women sexually attracted to younger men so sorry to disappoint some of our listeners out there who happen to really be into butterflies uh butterflies
2: are weirder than you think
1: yeah so moving on what's going to go right on past that urine also has phosphorus in it uh this is why you can use black lights or like a UV light to find out where your cat has peed on your carpet. Okay. Uh, I suppose you could also uh, uh, find out where that smell is coming from in your motel room perhaps, but uh, you know, it does you know uh, give off uh, light under a UV light. We have to use a black light to see that because we cannot see the UV part of the spectrum. Uh, and so by shining a UV, a UV light on it, it actually makes it give off a color in sort of that um, more of a purplish part of the spectrum that we can actually see. However, this is not true of all animals. Some animals can see up into the UV portion of the spectrum. So, uh, some of the raptors, like the American kestrel and rough-legged hawks, have been shown to be able to see UV light. You'll often see them hovering over fields or sitting on power lines, and it seems like they have like a huge area to watch to see such small, tiny prey, like say a little mouse or even a little shrew. But mammals uh, like that often mark their trails by like we talked about earlier sort of constantly dribbling out urine on their trails to form a scent trail well these trails are easy for the raptors to see because they are bright in the uv part of the spectrum so basically these raptors are looking out at this field instead of just seeing a sort of blank you know monochrome colored field like we do they can actually see these bright sort of probably purplish looking glowing lines all over the crisscross in the field that show them exactly where the trails are from these animals so they don't need to watch the whole field they just need to be watching those lines those highly used trails and they can very quickly then hone in on some of their prey that is along those trails because of the urine that they left behind in the trails so Really wild, uh, urine is quite fascinating. Uh, it's there's much more to it than meets the eye. Uh, you know, we could probably do a whole urine podcast, but I'm really glad we're not going to. Uh, I think that's enough <laughs> urine facts for now. Uh, but if you you want to, you know, read more about it, uh, it's really something that uh, is quite complex. And we think about it just as this sort of liquid we're throwing away, but it really is um, an important and complex part of what's going on with animals out there in the wild. Cool. When we come back from the break, it's going to be Rachel's uh, turn to wrap things up for us, and uh, we'll find out what she has to talk about.
2: So this week, we're going to go a little bit into the sky, okay? So let's just imagine, it shouldn't be too hard for us. There was a pretty good uh, rainstorm earlier this week uh, when we were recording this. Yeah. It was raining, and the pitter-patter is pretty calming and just nice. You're curled up with a maybe a book or a cup of tea, and you're watching the rain come down. All of a sudden. Sounds nice. It does sound nice. All of a sudden, boom! And light Did a tree streaks. fall on my house? No, but oh, no. light streaks across your, the sky, and it's yeah. striking the earth. Yes. Uh, I don't know if either of you have ever thought about this, but do you ever wonder what causes this electrical discharge known as lightning? Because science... Are you going to tell us? I'm going to try. I'm going to try. Okay. Lightning is a very complex... That is what I'm talking about this week. Lightning is a very complex... Phenomenon? phenomena yeah is yeah there you go that's the word it's a very complex phenomena there's many different types of lightning um oh, so yeah. generally speaking it comes in different forms uh some of which are rare which i'm going to touch on uh what happens is it occurs when a region of the cloud gets too much electrical discharge uh so generally speaking you get These uh, stacked kind of clouds. So near the top of a cloud generally will get a more positive charge. Uh, This just what happens when it comes to like in the water droplets or the ice particles, they end up with a more positive charge closer to the ends of a cloud. So both on the top, but also near the bottom of a cloud and then the middle in the part that we generally can't see, obviously, is a more negative charge. So what happens is that this imbalance eventually has to coalesce. They need to balance each other out. It builds and builds and builds. And in order to balance itself either between in in itself it, within the cloud itself or between two different clouds or even between the cloud and the ground needs to balance the charge somehow even temporarily so this is
1: the same as like in the winter time when it's dry in your house and i'm wearing wool socks and i'm rubbing them on the carpet building up a charge it really really wants to balance out and when i you know touch someone's earlobe
2: you're horrible and give person. Given that
1: shock. <laughs> or your nose. If you ever got a shock in the nose? That's that'll wake you up. I you get know, that's, again,
2: all the time. Yeah.
1: It's gotta find that opposite charge and and get grounded and, and go, exactly. go about its business.
2: Exactly. It allows it to balance out so that way it can continue on. Now like I like I was saying, it it's really complex and I'm gonna try to break it down a little bit. So this can only occur in certain conditions. This does not happen. Lightning doesn't happen everywhere on the planet. Uh, from the map that I saw, for some reason, it doesn't seem to happen too much in Russia, which is huh. weird. <laughs> That's very strange. Um, so basically, very strange.
1: <laughs> what you what you're saying is they don't they don't get a lot of thunderstorms.
2: Yeah, they don't get a lot of thunderstorms. Right uh that is not a type of weather phenomenon that they get uh as much at least i
1: i would imagine based on what i know about weather you know you you need in order to get thunderstorms to build you need to have you know warm and cold fronts crashing together yep and so if you don't have that you're just you're not going to get thunderstorms. in russia they only Ooh. have cold and,
2: fronts
0: and,
1: and, right <laughs> yeah you also need you know that 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 warm front also has has to have a lot of moisture in exactly. order to get the, the build the the vertical buildup of the clouds in order to get that, um, to build up the static electricity and whatnot.
2: Kirk, you you said what I was about to touch on was- Oh, that... I thought you said you didn't know why. No, I knew why. Uh, I Well then why well, did you say not... you didn't? <laughs> I don't necessarily know why it doesn't happen in Russia very much, but mm. you are right in that you. it mostly occurs when warm air is mixed with colder air masses and that, it, that actually is what's causing that polarization within the clouds. Uh, for the positive and the negative within the clouds, those that mixture of those fronts, it causes that polarization and it causes the charge to build up and eventually it has to balance itself somehow so it becomes a lightning strike. Um, now, when we're talking about a strike to the ground, there is a leader strike or stroke. And what happens is it builds up and then it goes through the cloud and it will hit the ground. And as it goes, it will branch out into the atmosphere to try to discharge as best as it can. When it hits the ground, now the ground is has a buildup of that electrical charge. So there will be a return stroke from the ground up into the sky. Now this is a little bit slower. Uh, all of this happens in a... So fast. We've hopefully all seen lightning. Uh, <laughs> uh, the leader stroke is about 30 milliseconds. And the return stroke wow. from the ground up, which is generally a negative charge going just because of the difference between the ground and the cloud voltage wise. The return stroke will go up into the cloud And that returns to the cloud in about 100 milliseconds. Wow. So that temporarily equalizes the two regions. Uh, There's a couple different types of lightning. Um, There's heat lightning, which is where there's no thunder at all. It's silent. Uh, Thunder is... What happens with thunder is just the sound barrier pretty much being broken. It's the air disturbance of uh, the superheated air coming down through, and the sound of thunder is air rushing back into that space. Uh, so heat lightning is where there isn't any thunder. It's silent. You can see it, and but it's not.
1: My understanding is that there. it's just that it's it's so far away over the horizon Exactly. That the sound isn't isn't getting to you, but if you yeah. were at the actual source of it, it would be just as loud as normal.
2: Right. Uh, then there's dry lightning, and generally speaking, dry lightning causes a lot of forest fires. Uh, this is a purely electrical storm that doesn't happen with a, a rain shower. What we mostly assume with a storm, and then the most rare is ball lightning. Now, this is I've heard of that very rarely. Uh, this is not observed very much in science. <laughs> um,
0: yeah. It, are you saying it's possibly a little a apocryphal? Lore.
2: What did you say, Victoria?
0: A little apocryphal. Oh my god. <laughs>
2: uh, maybe a little bit. So it's.
1: I don't know that it's mentioned anywhere in the actual apocrypha.
0: <sighs>
2: <sighs> <laughs>
0: Way to be a. Petent. <laughs> uh, sorry.
2: Uh, so ball lightning is generally uh, not a whole lot is known about ball lightning. And I'm not going to touch on it too much just because it's bizarre and there's not much. Known. Very strange. Um, but it lasts longer. Wait, that's not right. Then
0: you're saying it's strange and you're not going to talk about it. On I, I
2: know maybe another time. But the problem is, is that because it's been. Not been seen as much uh like observed scientifically, it's hard to explain because science doesn't really know why it's happening
1: yeah some of the some of the reports of of its behavior really seem to defy um logic there is like the a video laws of physics basically yeah. like oh yeah, it came and it went right you know slow this orb went through my window like through the pane of glass and you're like well glass is not a conductor of electricity so it's yeah. an insulator in fact so like there's these reports and you're like how much how much were you drinking that night
2: when you <laughs> exactly uh, there's actually a know, video so, yeah and, and
1: there are there are some phenomena that have been seen but like yeah yeah yeah
2: there is it's,
1: like, it's very interesting but it's very,
2: it's hmm. very what is happening there was a video actually that was confirmed that came out i think in either 2014 or 2018 i can't remember which year um of a ball lightning and this lasts a lot longer than a split second of a bolt it lasts a lot longer and some cases it potentially like explodes and smells like sulfur afterwards
1: that's a common thing it's here
2: it's weird. Uh, another form of lightning is uh, volcanic lightning, which...
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's so cool.
2: It's really cool because it's not caused by a storm. It's actually caused by the erupting volcano itself. So there's a polarization that's happening between the char- uh, of charged particles in the air between the volcano itself and the atmosphere and the lightning is actually being caused by the volcano erupting, which is so bizarre. It's so cool looking. That's actually one of the reasons I chose lightning this week because it's just, that is really cool. It's also known as like a dirty thunderstorm uh, because it's, (laughs) (laughs) which is, of course, why not? Because it's uh, through all of the ash plume of that volcano that's erupting, and you just see lightning coming out through it. Lightning—it's completely shocking, isn't it?
1: Oh, jeez! Uh, <laughs> is this just like the pun episode? What is going on?
2: Yes, <laughs> but I suppose that last the... la-
1: last last week was where I had the terrible.
0: You're uh, in yeah. trouble for making oh. that shocking pun. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, that's what I have for you both and for all of our listeners this week. See you next week. See you next Bye-bye. week.
1: bye Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of the strange discover the show.
2: I like it.